Well, good morning. Would you open your Bibles with me to uh, Isaiah chapter 9? And though John prayed, I'd like to pray too, okay? Oh Lord, it is good to come to be with fellow believers to look into your word together. There's real power in your word. It has the capacity to encourage us, to give us hope, give us truth. And that becomes really important as we all come today from different circumstances and different settings. Uh, different things going on in our lives. And for some, there's some uh, difficult things they're working through. Oh, it could be financial. It could be personal. It be job-related. It could be health-related. It could be their health or a family member. But somehow they're almost distracted today. They're here. They're really distracted. And they need a word from you. Some that can encourage them or comfort them. Somehow to give them the peace that only they can find through Christ. And many of us, we find ourselves processing along and doing well with you. But it would be nice to just have a word of encouragement. That we are doing well. That um, things are progressing well. That our eyes are on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, for others, we're here and um, not sure why. Maybe our first time, but... Maybe as a believer we're here because we're supposed to be here, but we know part of that distraction is that our eyes aren't on Jesus. And somehow we have um, looking to other things. And your word needs to call us back. Call us back to put our eyes on Jesus, that author and perfecter of our faith. For some calling us to Christ, to actually place our faith in him. But somehow with your word you're able to do that. But we know your word is only powerful because of the work of your spirit. That illuminating power of your spirit that gives us understanding from your word. So we invite your spirit in here today. Or to give us that insight that we need, to give that power that we need, that sense of you speaking to us. But making your word alive. For we want to find ourselves not only believing in Christ... But in that growing process, we're being conformed and molded and shaped and placed in the image of your dear Son as we become more like him. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, Advent is that time of the year where we have that anticipation of Christmas. Well, as churches, we take four Sundays and set them aside and sort of give you a snapshot each week of something about Christ in anticipation of Christmas. Essentially, when you read books or you know, if you watch movies, they do a similar thing. They, they call it foreshadowing. They'll just give you little hints along the way of what the big story is all about. They may show you a little clip or something to observe here and then here and then here. And all of a sudden, it all fits together out here. Isaiah is an author like that. He somehow gives us little snippets and snapshots along the way through the book. Don't bring the climax that we have towards the end. The book of Isaiah is sort of put together like the Bible. There's 39 chapters in the Bible in the Old Testament, and 
The first 39 chapters in the Old Testament or the book of Isaiah sort of lay down the promises to Israel and sort of talk a lot about Israel and who they are. But the next 27 chapters, like the 27 chapters of the New Testament, or 27 books of the New Testament, have a tendency to focus primarily on what's called the servant. And the servant who's go through, we find, is one who suffers for us and provides that wonderful salvation we have in Christ. But as we go through those first 39 chapters, there's sort of that foreshadowing, those snapshots, those snippets that we get from Isaiah. Oh, it starts in Isaiah 7, verse 14, where all of a sudden we get that picture, that snapshot of that child God, where all of a sudden he said that, to, uh, that there would be a virgin who would have a child, and that child would be named would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And all of a sudden there's this God king that comes along who's a child and comes that way. When we get to our passage today, Isaiah 9, it shifts. It's no longer talking about the child God, but now the child king. Introduces itself by the idea that there's going to be this child that comes along. And as it comes along, there's going to be four topics or four names given to him. This week we'll look at a Wonderful Counselor. But then we'll see there's the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father the Prince of Peace, and each one of those snapshots we'll look at over the next four weeks. But look with me in verses 6 and 7 today of Acts cha- oh, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 9, which sort of lays out this foundation. It's a child that we're talking about. But this child's going to be a king that we talk about. Verse 6. For a child will be born to us, A son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There'll be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on, forevermore, The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. There will be a child that's born. But this child they identify with the government resting upon his shoulders. This child will be a king like King David. And he will reign forever and ever and ever and ever. But the prophecy here is of this child. This child king that will be born. It's interesting the name that he's given here. It's Wonderful Counselor. As we look at this word wonderful, we start seeing what the meaning is. The meaning comes out to mean something that implies or identifies or something unusual that takes place when this wonder occurs. There's something that is miraculous that takes place when this wonder occurs. Somehow we look at this event Or something that takes place and says, you know what? This is beyond any capability of man to ever do this. Somehow it's got to be a God who does such a thing. Somehow there's no way of explaining it. It's beyond any explanation we have that this event, this thing we're discussing could ever be done by any man. And also identifies that when it's done that God is somehow caring for us. 
where it also identifies where he can actually be in retribution or judgment at the same time. It's interesting when we come to this word, and there's a sense when it's used in uh, Psalm 105, it, it deals with the cosmic acts, the, the creation that God does. But all of a sudden, this wonder that we see is this phenomenal event that takes place at creation. Say, how could this happen? The only one to give a credit to is that it's God who did it. There's a sense when we look at that and we see this, events that take place and say, how can you account for that occurring? It's only because God can do that. So we stand and gaze in the sky. We see the stars and we see the moon. We see that shooting star. We say, how can this come about? That's that general revelation that this is God who did this. And we hear this word wonder or wonderful. It deals with the miraculous. Only could take place if God did such a thing. But, but there's a second way the word's used. Not just with these cosmic acts. Not just a general revelation we see things. Scriptures also use the word in a special revelation. It's where all of a sudden we see this event that takes place. A historical event. And as we watch it and look at it. We say the only way to account for that is God did that. I'd like you to turn with me to Exodus 15. Exodus 15. Our word wonder is used there. It's used in verse 11, but we're going to start at verse 4. Here's what's taken place. Moses has come back from the wilderness after 40 years and has spoken to Pharaoh. He's told Pharaoh that uh, God wants to release his people. But for that to occur, Pharaoh keeps resisting to do that. So finally he describes one event that's going to take place. He tells all the children of Israel that they're slaughter a lamb. When they slaughter that lamb, they're supposed to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost of the house. So they put it on the doorpost of the house. They're told when the angel of death comes through Egypt... It will actually come to that house and it will pass over any house that has the blood applied to the doorpost. And the nation of Israel watches. The angel of death comes. The firstborn of every household's son dies except those who put the blood on the doorpost. And the angel of death passes over each of their homes. As Pharaoh releases the children of Israel from the nation, as he tells them they can leave, all of a sudden they find themselves standing on the edge of the Red Sea. As they're standing at the Red Sea, two and a half million people probably, they realize that they're being chased now by Pharaoh. No hope of escape. And then Moses stretches out his rod and the sea parts. Not only parts, it's dry land. And two and a half million people walk across dry land in the parted sea. So they get to the other side. Now the anticipation, here comes Pharaoh and his troops. And the life will be lost. And then they watch as the water comes crashing in on those soldiers and drowns the Egyptian shoulders. As they find themselves drowning, they're standing on the shoulder of the sea there. They sing a song together. 
This is that song. Starting in verse 4, we get to verse 11, you'll hear them talk about the wonder, the miracle that they just witnessed, this historical event. Here's what they say, verse 4. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. The choices of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deeps cover them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And in the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger and it consumes them as chaff. And the blast of your nostrils, the waters were piled up. The flowing water stood up like a heap. The deeps were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, and I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be great gratified against them. I will draw up my sword and my hand shall destroy them. You did blow with the wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, and working miracles, wonders? They stand on the seashore there. They recount all that God has done. That somehow God has passed over them with the angel of death. And now they watch the parting of the Red Sea. And they're walking through on dry land. And the closing of the Red Sea. And the killing of the Egyptians. And their conclusion is, this is the miracle of God. Could happen no other way. And in their celebration and song, they identify for us. Then we start thinking about this child king. This wonderful counselor. This is talking about the miracles that only he can do. This talks about when we're awed struck by what could happen. No other accounting can give, give credit for what has just occurred. It's only the wonder, the miracle God in this special revelation of this historical event. But there's a third thing about this word that's interesting. It's what we do with it. It is so spectacular. It is so unbelievable what's occurred that it forces each of us to say, we've got to talk about this. Here's what we find. Turn to Psalm 96 with me. <coughs> Psalm 96. When these miracles occur, when these wonders take place, when that shows God's special revelation, it gets recorded in the scriptures for us to see. What is the response that we have to such a thing? Verses 3, actually we'll start at verse 2 of Psalm 96. It starts off, Sing to the Lord, bless his name, proclaim glad tidings or good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful, that's miraculous deeds among all the peoples. What's our response to this? Man, we give ourselves to the examination of what we've just observed. We start telling and proclaiming to other people all that has happened. Here's what happens when we think of this wonderful counselor. Somehow he's they're telling us that this wonderful counselor, one who's going to do these cosmic acts of creation that we can see. 
These miraculous events that will just surprise everybody. These things we just cannot explain. There'll be such a way that we'll actually see in our lives, like historical events of miracles that take place that we can account for no other reason. Salvation occurs for no other reason by what he does. And the result of that, as we see and observe those things, is we're going to tell and proclaim to other people. Here's what I saw. Here's what happens. You will not believe what he has done for us. That is the wonderful child king that will come. But there's a second thing about this child king. He's not just going to be wonderful and miraculous. He's also going to be a counselor. Well, we read that and we're pretty well assured that we're not talking about therapists. Uh, we're not talking about social workers here. But this word counsel is used throughout the Old Testament to identify somebody who gives advice, who's consoled, but especially to a king. It's where the king is looking to get direction. Of what do we do next? What decision should I make? And the counselors come in to give that counsel, that advice, that instruction, that place of understanding what should take place. And that counselor comes in and speaks to the king with a plan, with a purpose, with some direction that takes place and gives counsel to the individual. As wonderful as that sounds, we may want to wonder why, why do we need counsel though? What is it about us that needs a counselor to come in and speak to us? What's well, interesting, Isaiah uses this word a lot through his whole book. Talks about the plans, the purpose, the direction, and even the counsel that is needed. But he actually starts with the book and he tells us why we need a counselor. It's not just because he's great and wonderful and miraculous. No, we need to counsel because of our very own need of counsel. So we're going to look at a bunch of verses in Isaiah just to illustrate or demonstrate what he's talking about here, why we need a counselor. So look at Isaiah chapter 29, verse 15. Isaiah 29, 15. This is the Lord speaking through the prophet. He says, Woe to those who deeply hide their plans. That's our word counsel. From the Lord. Whose deeds are done in dark. And they say, Who sees us? Or who knows us? He says, Here's what happens. We are individuals that are born in such a way that we have counsel and plans in our own heart. Things that we're thinking of doing, planning to do, dreaming about doing. He says, the nature of our plans is that we actually hide them deeply so that the Lord can't know or see them. He said, we have this capacity to think and dream of things that maybe we shouldn't do. And we think we can hide them from the Lord. He even goes so far as saying, look in verse 15 at the end. And they say, who sees us? Who knows us? This all-knowing God that we think somehow we can sort of close the door on this compartment of our life. These plans, these aspirations, these dreams, these things that we do. 
and somehow can come here on a Sunday morning and think, hey, nobody knows. Nobody can see. Because I hide it behind this door over here. And Isaiah and the Lord are speaking, saying, are, are, are you surprised that he knows what's behind that door? That you hide things that he already knows about? And we need a wonderful counselor because we think we can hide stuff from the Lord. There's actually things we try to hide. Look at verse chapter 30, verse 1, just the very next verse. Next chapter, <coughs> he says this. Woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute our plan. That's our word, counsel, plan. But, but, but not my plan. Uh, you make an alliance, but, 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 but not with my spirit. In order to what? Dad, sin to sin. He says, we have this capacity as people to not only try to hide things from God so he can't see them, even though he can. We actually put together plans, activities. They're not God's. They're our very own plans. And in the end, what we're doing is we're taking sin and we're adding sin on top of sin in the way that we give ourselves counsel. He says, folks, we desperately need a wonderful counselor because we hide stuff. We take sin and we not only do sin, we actually stack more sin on top of more sin on top of more sin as we make our own plans of how we want to live. He describes it another way. Look at chapter 41, verses 28 and 29. Chapter 41. 28 and 29. He talks about now when we try to get counsel, help from others. But when I look, there is no one. There's no counselor among them. Who, if I ask, can give an answer? Behold, all of them are false. Their works are worthless. The molten images are wind and emptiness. He says, look, you're not only trying to hide stuff. Now you put sin upon sin. You now go and get pursuing other counselors to come and give you help and counsel and advice and plans and decisions. And how's he describe those? He says, one, they're false. They're not even true. He says they're just worthless. And so we find ourselves as a people People who find ourselves hiding stuff and piling sin upon stuff, getting counsel from other people that's all worthless. He says, you are in desperate need of a wonderful counselor because your circumstance and counsel is so poor of what you need. And then he identifies one more. Chapter 47, verse Here's what he says, 12 and 13. Stand fast now in your spells and in your sorceries, 
with which you have labored from your youth, perhaps you will be able to profit. Perhaps you may cause trembling. He's saying, look, there's all the sorcery spells and things, all these things you try to do, horoscopes and all that stuff. But catch this, verse 13. You are wearied with your many counsels. He says, here's what happens. With all these things we try to hide, all the sin upon sin we stack up, all the worthless stuff that comes in, we are now people who are wearied by all the counsel we have. We're tired by all the things we hear and say. We're exhausted by how we live. We cannot go on anymore the way it is. We are in desperate need of a wonderful counselor because we're people who desperately find ourselves trying to hide stuff from God, stacking sin upon sin, listening to worthless counsel, and now are tired, wearied, burdened, overwhelmed, in need of a plan, some direction, some advice, some counsel, some consultation, for someone to speak into our life, to finally relieve us from all that is wrong. And that is the child king. That is the wonderful counselor. Here's what it says of him. Look at Isaiah 25, verse 1. Here's how it speaks of his plans. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will give thanks to your name. Why? For you have worked wonders. That's our word, miracles. You've worked miracles. Plans. That's our word for counsel. Fortified, formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. Who's this wonderful counselor? Here's a counselor who comes along who understands and does these miraculous things. But his counsel is such, here's what he says, it was planned from long ago, from way back here in the past, all the way to our present, even to the future. He's saying, listen, I've got counsel to begin way in the past, long before you were even born. Things that were already in place, and these plans of mine from long ago come all the way from the past to your present, even to your future. I've got these plans for you. But not only are they long ago planned, he also identifies here that they were with perfect faithfulness. God will make sure that they happen as he promises in your life and as he decided these things. There's not a sense these long-ago plans will start and stop. These plans of God are driven by his faithfulness to you that they will come about as he promised they would. And we need this wonderful counselor who addresses our need from his plans from long ago to his faithfulness to make them happen. It continues, Isaiah 40, verses 13 and 14.
Again, this is the Lord speaking, and, and these are rhetorical questions. It's the fact that they, they, you're to respond with the idea that uh, this wasn't needed. He's like, who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? It's like, no one's directed the Spirit of the Lord. Or, as his counselor, who informed him? Nobody informed him. He did not need a counselor like we need a counselor. With whom did he consult and gave him understanding? He didn't consult with anybody. He needed no understanding. And who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge? Nobody taught him of justice. Nobody taught him of knowledge. And who informed him of the way of understanding? No one informed him of the way of understanding. He knows all, does all, never needed to be consulted. He is the counselor that we desperately need. And finally, Isaiah 46, verses 9 to 11. And God is here speaking again. He says this in verse 9. Remember the former things long past? For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there's no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from the ancient times things have not been done, saying my purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country. Truly I've spoken. Truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely I will do it. Again, the definition or defining fact that what his plans are from long ago, they will come to pass. This is the counselor who somehow knows all those things we try to hide. Knows all those sins we stack upon, stack upon, stack upon themselves. Understands the worthless counsel we've had all these years. Understands how we're weary and tired and exhausted. And find ourselves in desperate need of counsel and help. And he is the one. He is the counselor. Who formed it long ago. To make sure it would happen. And with his faithfulness, demonstrated to be true. And now assures us anything he promises will take place. And we find ourselves looking at this child king who is a wonderful counselor. Who does the miracles. Who gives us a plan who gives us direction, who gives us understanding, and has the power, the miracles that he can do to make it happen. Now when we start thinking of the Christmas season, when we start thinking of this Advent season, it is a time of preparation. And Isaiah recognizes this child king, this snapshot, is to give us preparation for that Christmas. Uh, let me suggest four things to think about from this. First, it's the idea that he tells us we need to acknowledge the failure 
of our own consultation, our own counsel, and those who counsel us. We need to recognize our own failure that we put, hide stuff away. We don't want anybody to know. So we hide those secret sins away and somehow think even God doesn't know. We need to acknowledge that we take sin and we stack it upon, stack upon it, stack it upon itself. And somehow we listen to just worthless counsel. And sometimes we need to stop and acknowledge the fact, you know what? We are just weighed down by our own sin. We are weighed down tired and exhausted that seems like there's just no hope for any help to our great need but in that anticipation we find here a second thing it's not just acknowledging that sense of our failure it's also turning to realize now that we need to accept that wonderful miracle of salvation Here is that wonderful news that we have. This child king comes along and in Isaiah 15 we find provides that wonderful salvation we can only have through Christ. Somehow through his death, his resurrection, there's a miracle that can take place in our hearts and our lives that somehow can take that darkness, that hidden stuff, and turn us away from that and actually transform us from the inside out. And all of a sudden we accept the miracle only can come through salvation. A place where we place our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And in that process, we are new creatures in Christ. And there's a miracle that takes place in our life. But there's a third thing that follows up on that. If what we find is we're able to acknowledge what we were or the trouble we're in and the need that we have, if we find ourselves accepting Christ as our Savior the natural outcome is to tell and proclaim other people about that. It is not something just to hold in and muse about and reflect on and say, wow, wow. It's one to proclaim, to tell other people of all that has happened. There's a proclamation of good news that happens here, that somehow our advent is filled with us telling our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, our family, All about Christ, because why? Not what we've done, this miracle that's taken place in our lives that's transformed us to new creatures in Christ who have made us alive in him as we've been dead in our sin. But there's a fourth thing that happens here. Not only we are people to acknowledge it and accept it, not only to proclaim it, but now there's something to live if Jesus Christ is this child king, is this counselor who gives us direction and purpose and his words speak truth, then we need to live according to his counsel on a daily basis. There are lives that have been changed and transformed and made new creatures in Christ. We now find ourselves living for him and listening to his counsel, his words, his wisdom, his direction, his purpose for us to live and for all that to take place. Advent is that time of anticipation 
of what he can do, but it also becomes a kind of that decision-making of us trusting in Christ and following him and living for him. Charles Wesley was a songwriter in the 1700s. There was a great uh, first great awakening here in America, about 1730s, 1740s. Charles Wesley and his brother John, who began the Methodist Church, were part of that, along with the George Whitfield. Well, they preached all over England, they preached all over the United States, and the gospel just permeated lives and transformed a culture. During that first great awakening, though, it was Charles who continued to write hymns. Lived to be 81 years of age, wrote over 6,000 hymns in that time period. If he began writing from the day he was born, he wrote about a new hymn every five days of his life. And a new hymn was written every five days, every five days. But he wrote one that has become a Christmas song. Filled with this anticipation of Christ. Not just his first coming, but even his second coming. Not just that he's a child born in Bethlehem, but the king who reigns forever and ever. Songs called, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Let me read the words for you. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set your people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth, you are. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. That's Advent. Snapshots of Jesus. Wonderful. Counselor. Miracles to be completed. counsel to be given as we celebrate that new life in Christ it's also we anticipate his coming again for us as well let's close in prayer oh Lord what good news to hear the wonderful counselor Realize that Jesus Christ does perform miracles. That he's one that gives us instruction on how to live. For each of us, Lord, we come today knowing that we need to see miracles in our lives. For some to trust in him as their personal savior today, to come and know him as their savior and see that transformation take place. But even as followers of Christ, we get weighed down at times by counsel and things we hear. We get overwhelmed too and we need to hear that miracles can still happen for us. And then also to hear that call to live for Christ. That he counsels us and teaches us and instructs us so that we entrust our lives to him 
to live for him. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.